seeing that boat pulling into the nearest Stockdale makes me wonder why you want to go anywhere when you live somewhere like here. That's a good question. And I'm happy here almost every day of the year because the lake changes color depending on the time of day, the time of season, and the sky. It's always different. And I just love watching uh, the trees either nearby or on the other side of the lake um, changing color or in winter, the snow line moving up and down. That's Dale Bechtel, a colleague of mine. He grew up in Canada and has lived in Switzerland for about 30 years. We've been sitting on his deck, enjoying the amazing view of Lake Thun in the Bernese Alps. But as we're sitting here, thinking about the holiday season coming up, we're like a lot of other people, wishing they could be somewhere else, to be close to family or friends in other parts of the world. I had minor knee surgery a few years ago, and I had time to think, and I was sitting here on my deck, and I wondered why I'm still so attached to those friends from college. I mean, we were friends so many, I mean, decades ago, only for a short period. But um, it did make me think, is there something wrong with me that I'm still so attached to them after all these decades? So I started, you know, looking into it because I had this time sitting around, not doing much of anything else. So we're dedicating the upcoming episodes to a special three-part series to find out more about the connection between nostalgia and homesickness. We'll travel back in time to join two backpackers exploring Europe in the 80s and how they're connected to Swiss mercenaries hitting the road back in the 17th century. I'm Susan Masika, and this is The Swiss Connection, a Swiss Info production. Our story starts with Dale, recovering from knee surgery a few years ago and wondering why he loves to reminisce. Well, because I had all this time to think about it, I, I decided to, to look into it and, and try to understand, like, what is this nostalgia thing? Why am I so nostalgic? What are the roots of this? And is there much that's been written on the subject? Or? Um, there are a lot of rabbit holes uh, when you start looking into nostalgia, and I went down quite a few of them. And what really surprised me um, was that if you go back far enough, nostalgia is connected to homesickness. And what I really didn't know, Switzerland. Oh, I'm glad to hear that because this is the Swiss connection. And I was thinking about you growing up in Canada and your friends and thinking about being homesick. And I yeah. thought, what, what's the Swiss part? I'll come to that. But first, what it really got me thinking about was my first uh, or first most serious bout of homesickness. And that all happened uh, when I set out with uh, one of these old college friends to cycle across Europe one summer. The year was 1982, and Dale was 21. He and his friend Tony were just out of college. These two young Canadians reserved their whole summer for exploring Europe, and they certainly had some adventures. Dale and Tony really bonded all those years ago, and they're still in touch today. Hey, Dale. How are you? Nice to hear from you. Hey, Tony. Good, good, good. Great to hear from you. Hey, listen, I was looking forward to seeing you and the other guys uh, in person this year, but, you know, I had to cancel my plans to come home, like many people. Hey, you never know. Um, 
I may come and see you because uh, like most people, um, this whole thing has got me wanting to travel. And of course, you know, you want, you want the things you can't have. And of course, I think that's really, really what I'm missing a great deal right now. So, Hey, so, well, maybe we could do at least a leg of our, you know, that bike trip for that we did 38 years ago. That would be really great. You know, that would be amazing. And I, it's funny because I have been thinking of that. And uh, I know we even talked about it last year that, or we joked about it. I wouldn't even say we sort of talked about it, but so. Well, just take me back to, you know, what I can't remember. How did we come up with the idea to cycle across Europe? I, I, I really, I cannot remember. I have no idea how that happened, how oh. we came up with that idea. Well, I guess we were close to graduating. You said, what are you doing after grad? Like, are you going anywhere? And I said, well, I'm planning to go to Europe to cycle. You probably thought about it for about 10 seconds and said, do you mind if I come along? And and I, I think that's how casual you were about it. And I think to a degree, that's how casual we were about the whole notion of cycling around Europe. And then we probably spent all of maybe like three hours planning. <laughs> well, what? how did we choose the route? I mean, my gosh, we, you know, Amsterdam all the way south through the Alps, uh, through Southern Europe to Greece and back up again. I mean, how did we decide on that route? That's, that's crazy. Well, I don't think there was any real planning. Um, and I think the whole notion of Amsterdam to Athens I think it just sounded good. It sounded like a headline. And and to be honest, I, I don't think we had any idea of, you know, how rigorous the cycling would be. That was the Well, that's that's the funny thing because because I was working uh as an intern at the CBC and and we managed to get ourselves interviewed on a on a radio program and the host asked us um well you know aren't you worried about all the ups and downs and going through the mountains and i you know smugly said uh well you know we looked at the map and it seems to be all downhill from amsterdam to greece yeah. and and i would say that it was all downhill when we got there and realized how difficult it was <laughs> because um those first few days were just brutal and i don't think we had even cycled up a local hill in toronto to to um practice to train for this no trip. um let me just remind you of uh of those early days uh, i've been trying to forget yeah <laughs> tell me tell well, me and i can't remember if it was cold or allergies but you were completely stuffed up and then on the flight you just got worse and then i remember as the plane started descending you just puffed up even more your eyes got like completely closed up and then when we landed you were a mess and then we had to put our bikes together which <laughs> um you know neither neither of us are super mechanically inclined or were at that point anyway and you misthreaded your pedal on your bike. And um, because what happened was because you misthreaded it. And then, of course, all the riding as you rode, it, it <laughs> basically 
broke the threads and your pedal fell off. Now that didn't happen until I think the second day. And I gave up after less than two weeks. Yeah, I think um, I think it was actually ten days. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty embarrassing, right? I'm trying to stretch it to two weeks, and you're yeah. taking me back there and telling me that what it really was. It was yeah. only ten days. The thing is, what Dale was suffering from was more than allergies and bike problems. It was something much worse than that, and it still haunts him today. Despite all of the problems, those could be overcome, right? I mean, eventually you fix the bike, um, the allergies go away. Um, I was thrown a bit, I guess, by the strangeness of old Europe. I'd never been across the ocean before. And um, I started feeling something in the the pit of my stomach that I couldn't describe. It was just this hollow feeling. It was like something was eating away at me. And um, I don't know if you've ever felt that before, but I was, I was becoming very anxious. Um, I, I stopped speaking to Tony. I just really, you know, got into myself and um, I really missed everybody and everything back home. I was really, I mean, it was just up and down. And, um, y- you know, it was so debilitating that I really lost my appetite. At what point did you decide, that's it, I've got to go home? Yeah, by that point, we were in the northeastern corner of France, where France kind of juts into to Germany. It was a town called Sarbourg, and I'll never, never, ever forget that place, because, yeah, I took that momentous decision to really abandon Tony um, through my, you know, bike and bags on a train, went to Paris, flew home, and he carried on his own. But it was the most embarrassing moment of my life. And you know what, Susan? The only reason that I've started telling people about it is because of this research. It's something that I really kept to myself. Of course, Tony knows about it um, all these years. Yeah, I'm not really surprised. I mean, it does sound extraordinary. A, a young man, it sounds like a trip of a, a young lifetime, and to just pull the plug on it. Well, it was 10 days of a lifetime, you know, it really was, that I'll never forget. That takes me back to, to you know, my investigation into, into nostalgia and, and its connection with homesickness. And, and, you know, you wouldn't believe what I found out, but I discovered that in that very place where I was homesick, that people hundreds of years ago actually were becoming homesick as well. But that has brought me full circle because, you know, sitting here on my deck thinking about nostalgia, looking into nostalgia, going into those rabbit holes, I discovered that its very origin goes back to really close to the place where I was homesick. And it was this young medical student um, who was confronted or seeing or hearing about Swiss soldiers, actually, Swiss mercenaries going off to fight and going off to fight in the part of Europe that I was crossing on my bike. Um, A lot of them became homesick. And so, you know, he decided to study homesickness. There came to my mind the stories of certain youths that, unless they had been brought back to their native land, whether in a fever or consumed by the wasting disease, they had met their last day on foreign shores. Hence, I judged that this disease deserved to be described and expounded more fully. 
So the guy who wrote that, uh, his name was Johannes Hofer. And uh, it was, well, how long ago was it? It was a little bit over 300 years ago. He was only 19 years of age. And um, what hasn't changed over the years, students are looking around. If they're at university, they, they need something to write about, right? So he had to um, find a subject for his dissertation. He notices soldiers passing in the streets of Basel where he's uh, going to university studying medicine. And uh, he also hears or even sees experiences that um, many of them are homesick. And what he realizes is that homesick is actually a Swiss German word. He wasn't Swiss German, actually. He lived just across the border in Mulhus, but studying in, in Basel. And he knew this word Heimweh which had been in the Swiss vocabulary for a, only a few decades. And so, anyways, he's fascinated by the uh, wondering why they would become homesick. And uh, he decided to, to write his paper on it and realized that Heimweh isn't necessarily a medical description. It's not really um, considered a disease. And if you wanted to make it one, you'd have to come up with, um, with a new name for it. And so, guess what? He invents a new name, and I think you can probably guess what the new name is. Nostalgia? Greek in origin, and indeed composed of two sounds, the one of which is nostos, return to the native land, the other, algos, signifies suffering or grief. Hofer, um found that once these soldiers were, you know, away from, from their Alps, assuming, which wasn't necessarily correct, that they all came from the mountains around here, they suffered from what he called the peculiar Swiss ailment Heimweh, or as we know it, homesickness. Um, what you have to realize, Susan, war was extremely commonplace during Hofer's time. And Swiss soldiers or mercenaries, you know, they really were involved in most battles um, across Europe. They even fought on opposite sides. Um, whoever was, was paying them, they would fight for them. Back then, the majority of Swiss people were poor, scratching a living from the land. That poverty lingered for generations, and Switzerland didn't become a wealthy nation until the second half of the 20th century. I wanted to know more about Hofer, and I looked at um, his hometown of Mulhus, just across the, the Swiss border in what is today France, and um, discovered that when he was only five years old, there was a skirmish between, you know, two warring parties. And uh, the one side, the, the, the troops of the one side retreated into the center of town. And I can just imagine him as a five-year-old, you know, as a young boy, seeing these soldiers with their muskets and possibly swords and, I don't know, whatever armor they were wearing. He must have been really, really impressed. Well, it's fun sitting here and, and hearing these stories and admiring the view, but it is getting a little bit chilly. Why don't we go in and have some tea? Sounds good. There were the officers who came round to the pubs and eyed up the men they thought might be useful and made sure they were given enough wine to make it easier to convince them to sign up. And from that moment on, they didn't have a choice. Oh. 
So what happens when you take the man away from the mountain? Next time on The Swiss Connection, we're going to explore what happens to those men, those mercenaries, when you take them far away from the Alps. Even a simple song could make them abandon their missions. Stay with us for the second installment of our Nostalgia series, as Dale tries to find out what he had in common with many of those Swiss soldiers who lived so long ago. You can read more about our series and the history of the Swiss mercenaries and even homesickness all on our website at swissinfo.ch. I'm Susan Masika, and this is The Swiss Connection. This episode was reported and produced by me and Dale Bechtel. Our music is by Michele Andina, and our sound engineer is Donny Wheeler. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We'll be dropping new episodes every two weeks or so. Until next time, thanks for listening. Hello, I'm Imogen Folks from Swiss Info's Inside Geneva podcast. On February 24th, 2022, Russia attacked Ukraine. The invasion caused Europe's largest refugee crisis since World War II. And during the year-long conflict, tens of thousands, possibly hundreds of thousands of people, soldiers and civilians have been killed. Over the past year, a number of episodes of Inside Geneva have looked at the heavy humanitarian toll of the war and its wider implications for the world. We've been joined by historians and international human rights experts to ask about the background to the invasion. We've talked to major UN aid agencies about how the war in Ukraine is impacting other humanitarian crises. And we've asked if sanctions or war crimes investigations can stop or at least limit this conflict. If you're particularly concerned by the war in Ukraine, do listen to these episodes. You can find Inside Geneva, free to listen, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google and all your usual podcast apps.